0: Well, take your Bibles tonight, let's go to Acts chapter 3. I'd like to thank Mike Petrocco for preaching last Sunday night. Thank you, brother. Despite what your wife said, you did a great job. I'm hoping this road trip goes well for the both of you. Yeah, I noticed you ducked out, amen. Um, praise the Lord. I hope you make a good navigator this time around, Amen. <laughs> It really was a blessing, though, to see how God interwove Mike's message with Tyler's message, Amen. and it's always good to know that the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding, Amen. Amen. and that's, that's just a comfort. Well, we're considering what it means to be a church in action on Sunday nights by going through the book of Acts. I don't ever want to be a dead church. Amen. I don't want to ever become stagnant. We must continue steadfastly, and that's our theme this year. We're just going to keep doing what we know to do. And stay with it. Don't give up. Just keep doing those things even though the world is changing. Even churches are changing. We have the Bible. We know what's right. We're just going to stick with it. Amen? Amen? So we've been five weeks in this chapter, and we've been considering this lame man who was healed at the temple by Peter and John. Actually, they didn't heal him, but the power of God did. God used them. And so once this man was healed, remember he went walking and leaping and praising God. He didn't care when anybody thought about his Christianity. You bunch of stiff independent Baptists, amen. We need to get Pentecostal up in here from time to time. We're not breaking out the snakes though. That's where I draw the line, amen. I don't have to prove that much spirituality, amen. Unless the head's already off the thing. Okay I don't know where this stuff comes from, but as this man is healed and he's praising God, he's hanging on to Peter and John and they're at the they're at Solomon's porch, and this crowd begins to crowd around them this multitude of people see what's going on, and that's kind of where we left we left off. We started to consider Peter's response to this multitude they obviously amazed at what has taken place. This beggar had been laid there day after day, and so people were familiar with him. They would have known this man, and now they've seen this crippled beggar made whole, and they come running over. Then we saw in verse 12 how Peter takes advantage of the opportunity to preach Christ. He isn't going to magnify himself or John, but he's going to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ, by asking this, Why look ye so earnestly on us? As though by our own power and hol- or holiness we made this man to walk. And so Peter and John, they're going to fade into the background. They're going to bring Christ to the forefront. And then as this message begins to unfold, they're giving all the glory to God. And this is what a church in action does. They take advantage of opportunities to preach Christ, and they'll glorify God by magnifying Christ. So let's begin tonight. Let's read verses 11 through 26. The Bible says, beginning in verse 11 of Acts chapter 3, And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or... Why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses." And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I will that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled." Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And He shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of the restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto your fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you, raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me, Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Amen and amen. So we have this introduction to Peter's sermon in verse 12. We considered that last time. And then beginning here in verse 13, through the end of the chapter, we have what Peter is preaching to this multitude. And Peter here packs a lot into this sermon, amen, and he's got a lot of things that he's throwing out here that we could really get in the weeds if we wanted to. We'll just see how it goes. But he, he preaches basically from the denial of Christ to the return of Christ. Amen. And then in between, he talks about his death, his burial, his resurrection, their need to repent. And then he begins here in verse 13 by bringing up the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he calls them, the, or he says, the God of our fathers. So while there were likely some Gentile proselytes present, just like there was in chapter two on the day of Pentecost, Peter's primary appeal here is to the nation of Israel. In chapter two, he addressed the men of Judea, the men of Israel. He spoke of the patriarch David and he addresses all the house of Israel. And here in chapter three, he calls the patriarchs, Our fathers. He's talking about those that are in Israel. And He speaks of Moses and all the prophets. And He calls this multitude this day, the children of the prophets. Why am I bringing this up? Because when the gospel was going to go forth, Jesus made it clear that it was to go to the Jew first and then on to the Gentiles. And that's what we see taking place here. When Jesus walked the earth, He sent forth His twelve disciples. Remember that? And He told them in Matthew 10, verses 5 and 6, Go not into the ways of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. But rather, go unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In Luke chapter 24 and in verse 47, Jesus said, And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 1 and in verse 8, Jesus said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And even here at the end of Peter's sermon, we see in verse 26, Unto you... First, God, having raised up His Son Jesus, sent Him to bless you and turning away every one of you from His iniquities. Later on, Paul's going to write in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And I'm just simply highlighting right here how that we see in these early chapters of the book of Acts exactly how our Lord had planned it all to go. He wanted it to go to the Jew first, and then it was going to go to the Gentile. And so what we're going to see from chapters 1 through 8, basically, or the first part of chapter 8, the gospel is primarily going to Israel. And after that, it's going to, Saul of Tarsus is going to come on the scene. He'll be born again, become the, uh, the Apostle Paul, and the gospel is going to go primarily to the Gentiles from that point. So what we're seeing here is unfolding God, God's plan. It's exactly what He designed. And so here we find at the beginning of Peter's sermon, he's addressing Israel by bringing up the fathers. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all those men, all the way back from the book of Genesis. And Peter immediately, he gets controversial. What good preaching if it doesn't get controversial? And he does so by saying that Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus is the Son of God, And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they knew God. And that this same God that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew, well, Jesus was the Son of God. And you got to understand, this was very controversial to say in this time. This is all still very fresh in their minds. From Passover to Pentecost is only 50 days. And so we know here at the the beginning of chapter 2, we're only 50 days from the cross. And now, we're not given a time frame from the end of chapter 2 to the beginning of chapter 3, but we could very well just be two months away from all the events that have unfolded. Maybe three at most. And all this is still fresh in their minds. They're they're aware of what is taking place. And and you can bet that people in Judea and Galilee, they're plugged into what's, what's going on. Therefore, what Peter states about Jesus being the Son of God, it was still very controversial to declare and to hear because remember, the Jews wanted Jesus dead. The religious Jews did. They wanted Him dead because He claimed to be the Son of God. Mark 14. And listen, i got to read this passage because there's a nut down in Texas saying, Jesus never said He was the Messiah. Well, listen to what Jesus said. Mark 14, verses 61 through 64. Again, the high priest asked Him and said unto Him, Art thou the Christ? By the way, that means Messiah. Which being interpreted means the Christ, right? Art thou the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. (laughs) And He says, Ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes... And saith, what need have we any further or what need we any further witnesses? Ye have heard the blasphemy, what thank ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. Now, I probably pointed this out while we were in chapter two, but isn't this amazing, this boldness we see in Peter here in chapter three? I, listen, this was the man who just a couple months earlier was sitting around the fire there saying, I don't know the man. I'm not one of them. Oh, yes, you are. Your speech berath thee. Uh, no, I, I don't know the man. Listen to the guy so bad, he began to curse and to swear that he didn't know Jesus. Then, of course, you know he went off and he wept bitterly. But here, he's no longer afraid. He is bold in his preaching. He's, he understands what is taking place in the resurrection. And that's what makes the resurrection so powerful. Without the resurrection, we have nothing today. And so once they saw the resurrected Lord, things changed. And I want to tell you tonight... When you get a hold and you have a relationship with the resurrected Lord, your Christianity will change. All of a sudden, you'll want to serve Him. All of a sudden, you'll want to be in church. All of a sudden, you'll want to read your Bible. All of a sudden, you'll want to pray. All of a sudden, you'll want to give. All of a sudden, you'll want to be witnessing to people. Why? Because now you know that this is not a dead religion. This is not something we do in vain. But we serve the living God. Whoop! The resurrection makes the difference. Because you got to remember, when right before Jesus was arrested, the Bible says they all forsook him and fled. All his disciples, and now they're willing to lay their life down for him. That's how controversial this message is. It's dangerous to preach. We're going to see that when we get into chapter four, and we see their response. It was extremely for Israel, though, to hear this important truth. Why? Because God had foretold of the Messiah's arrival to the patriarchs. And He told of the Messiah's arrival to the prophets and those who had been caught up in Judaism, which had become corrupted through oral traditions. That's what Jesus was blasting against when He was here and they needed to be told how Jesus was the Christ who was the promised seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God told Abraham in Genesis 22:18, "And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice." God told Isaac in Genesis 26:4, "And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed." God told Jacob in Genesis 28, 14, And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. There's only one way for all the families of the earth to be blessed. And that is through Christ, the promised seed. Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our Master and our King. When Moses turned aside to see the bush on fire which was not being consumed, that's a weird thing, okay? And he saw this happening. He turned aside, and when he did, he heard God call out to him. And God said to Moses in Exodus 3, 6, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And it's interesting that we've landed on this passage tonight, in light of it being Resurrection Sunday. In Matthew In Matthew 22, the Sadducees came to Jesus tempting him. And they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. <laughs> it obviously works. It's stuck with me since I was a kid. Yeah. Amen. But they come to Jesus, and they try to trip him up, and they said, hey, this woman was married to this guy. He died, so she married her brother, and that's kind of how the law was set up. And anyway, she ended up having seven husbands. And they said, which one is she going to belong to in the resurrection? Remember that? Well, Jesus said this. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. (laughs) Listen, God's not your God if you're not born again. That's what it says. In other words, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were still alive. Let me put it this way. They are still alive. They had died physically, but because they had placed their faith in the Son of God, they were still alive, having believed the gospel of Christ. Romans 4 3 says, For what saith the Scriptures? What saith the Scriptures? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. In John chapter 8, the Pharisees, they're just having a time with Christ there, and they're bringing up some very serious things against the Son of God. And Jesus. I said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never ta- taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets, which are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? Jesus responded in John chapter 8, verses 56 through 58. Listen now. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old. And hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Could you imagine what that did to that crowd? (laughs) What was Jesus doing? He was declaring that he was God. And, of course, the Jews, they understood what was taking place, those present that day, because their response was to take up rocks and to stone them. The Bible says Jesus hid himself and he got out of there. Why did they want to kill him? Because Jesus made himself equal with God by declaring, before Abraham was, I am. And you got to remember what God said to Moses at the burning bush. In Exodus 3 14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am, hath sent, sent me unto you. The writer, the writer of Hebrews said this. This is an interesting phrase that you ought to get a hold of. It'll help your theology if you're a hyper dispensationalist. But it says this in Hebrews 4 2 For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them speaking of those that were in the wilderness you see it's always been the gospel it's always been the blood of Christ I know some people will say well you know that was a different dispensation and they were saved because they brought the sacrifice oh no my friend all they did was picture the Christ who was coming those were all types and figures and the gospel was preached unto them just as well as it was preached unto us That's what the writer of Hebrews says. And so Peter here is connecting Jesus back to the God of the patriarchs. By proclaiming Jesus as the Son of God, these present this day, they would have understood how Peter was saying Jesus was the Christ, and therefore Jesus was God in the flesh. And Peter is showing how the the seed that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... He is showing them that this was fulfilled in Jesus Christ and how God had glorified His Son, Jesus, in the healing of this crippled beggar. The same God who promised the arrival of the Messiah to the patriarchs is the same God who healed this lame man because he has placed his faith in Christ. And we'll see this again later on in another time in verse 16. I've mentioned it couple of times already in this chapter. When we read through these accounts, and because we are in Christ, we sometimes don't understand the magnitude of what we're reading. We're just used to reading it. We've been in church, grew up in church, we know what the Bible says, and we kind of breeze through things when we're reading them, right? And we don't necessarily understand the magnitude of this, but I want you to understand that what Peter is preaching here, his opening was a shocker. It's controversial, it's getting their attention, And he is saying, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that is who Jesus Christ is tied to. And this was a big deal. The religious Jews didn't want to hear it. But they needed to hear it. And this is what a church in action does. We don't have to be ugly. We don't have to be crass. We don't have to beat people over the head. But we preach the whole counsel of God's Word. And we have to be bold enough to tell the lost what they don't want to hear sometimes. And again, we don't have to be ugly about it but we can give truth. You see, sinners don't want to hear that they're sinners. I've met them and you've met them. Who are you to tell me that I'm not right with God? Well, I'm nobody to tell you that, but I know what God's Word says. You see, sinners don't want to hear that the wages of sin is death and hell. Uh But they need to hear it. Many don't want to hear that their church can't save them. I can promise you the Mormons don't want to hear that nor the Catholics, people don't want to hear it, but they need to hear it. A lot of people don't want to hear that their their good works can't save them. If your good works can save you, why did God send Christ? Why are we even celebrating the Lord's table tonight if your good works can save you? We need to hear these things. And then, of course, we've got to follow that up with the good news. Amen? Amen. By the way, gospel means good news. We follow it up with the good news that Christ came to die for them knowing that they were sinners. Christ died for me knowing what I am, what I was, what I will be. He still died for me and He still died for you. He came to deliver sinners who couldn't save themselves. (laughs) We tell them how Christ took the wrath of God in our place that we might be reconciled to God and be born again. Ultimately, What Peter is getting at here is that Jesus is the one who confirmed the covenant made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The covenant made unto the fathers. And it is this thought that's going to lead us into the Lord's table tonight. He he tells them in verse 25, don't cut us off yet on the live stream, but he, he tells them in verse 25, ye are the children of the prophets... Look at what it says. And of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. You see, we celebrate the Lord's table by acknowledging that Christ is the covenant confirmer. He confirmed the Abrahamic covenant, which we also... Called sometimes the everlasting covenant. Or more popularly, it's called the new covenant. It was confirmed through the shedding of Christ's blood. His death, His burial, and His resurrection. In Hebrews chapter 9 verses 14 through 16, it says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. The words testament and covenant are the same in the Greek. They mean exactly the same thing. You can use them interchangeably. So when you read of a testament in your Bible, you're reading about a covenant. We have a portion in our Bible called the New Testament, which is telling us it is the new covenant. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Or where a covenant is, there must be the death of a covenant confirmer. Daniel was told of the Messiah, that He would be cut off and that He would confirm the covenant with many. What covenant? The new covenant. And when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, He said this in Matthew 26, 28, For this is My blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus is saying that the act that I'm about to go through, the, the death that I'm about to endure, the blood I'm about to shed. It is confirming the new covenant. Jesus confirmed the new covenant. And listen to this, Galatians 3:16 and 17. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. And listen to me, that is what we are celebrating tonight. You say, what are we doing? We are rejoicing that Christ has confirmed the new covenant. The, The covenant that was promised to Abraham Isaac and Jacob, that there would be one seed that would come, that would give his life a ransom for many, that he would shed his blood for wicked sinners, that their sins might be remitted and taken away. You say, why do we do this? It's not to save us. Some churches will tell you this is a sacrament, and you got to do it in order to be saved. No, we are doing it because of what Christ already did. He died in our place. He confirmed the new covenant. And what's so great about the new covenant? I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. We observe this supper as a memorial. I'm sorry, sister. I didn't mean to get little one all riled up there. I think she's saying amen. We observe this as a memorial. We do this in remembrance of Christ's sacrifice. We take of the bread with the acknowledgement that Christ's body was broken for us. You understand, He was beaten. He was scourged. He was left a bloody mess before He ever got to the cross. We take of the cup with the acknowledgement that Christ's blood was shed for us. You see, tonight's a celebration. It's a holy celebration. We approach the Lord's table with reverence as we give thanks knowing that without Christ we would never have the forgiveness of sins. That without Christ we would never have a relationship with God. And that without Christ, we would never have eternal life. We acknowledge it's all because of God's mercy and grace. Before we partake of the Lord's memorial supper, we need to take heed to the Apostle Paul's warning in 1 Corinthians eleven, twenty-seven 27-31. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep or are dead. For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Anytime we observe the Lord's Supper, we must have a time of examination. Because I don't want anybody here to eat or to drink unworthily from the Lord's table. If you do, you are inviting the judgment of God upon your life. Therefore, we're going to have a time tonight where you can judge yourselves as it were so that you won't be judged. In other words, we'll have an altar call here in just a minute and invite you to make sure your heart's right with God and that all of your sins are confessed before the Lord. And so what I want to do now, Luke, is I'd like to say goodbye to the live stream audience. Let me know when we're done there. And we'll have a time of, exam- of examination and prayer. And also at that time, I'll need the deacons who are serving to come forward. And be ready afterwards, I'll give further instructions as well uh, before we proceed to observe the Lord's Supper. So with that, Luke, are we good? Thank you, son. All right, let's have a time of prayer, and then I invite you to do business with God. Let's pray.